Greetings, everyone, and welcome to another serving of Business Soup Talk Radio. If it's in business, it's business soup. I'm your host, John Dibbavoise. Today, we're going to sit down with the creator, Kevin Zhang. He is the young serial e-commerce creator of Creator E-Commerce. That's Creator with a K. It's a global business that has over 60 team members with facilities in three countries. And despite the fact that he started with $3,000 that he saved from a summer job, Kevin has achieved worldwide acclaim in the digital strategies of e-commerce, generating tens of millions of dollars in his first year in sales. So pull up a chair, sit on down. Kevin is serving up some creator e-commerce with Business Soup, where business comes for business. Kevin, welcome to this serving of Business Soup. John, it's great to be here and I'm excited to have a great discussion with you. Well, Kevin, you have, at a very young age, done that which your parents, who immigrated from China, probably never thought that they could ever see or anyone would achieve. And I'm sure they are just glowing in pride with you developing what has become a disruptor in the e-commerce. And that's what this audience wants to learn about, is how they, too, can get into the e-commerce site with their existing businesses and disrupt that which they're already involved with. So let's talk about e-commerce. What was it about e-commerce that got your attention before you became this leader in the industry? Anytime I think about an opportunity that I want to pursue, there's two main criteria that I look at. And my background is I graduated college. I had a really high paying corporate job that I was about to start that I worked very hard to get. And then kind of last minute had cold feet about the whole corporate ladder that I was about to climb, even though, you know, it would have been by all means a a phenomenal opportunity for myself. So the first criteria was lifestyle, right? I realized even at a very early age, I want a lot more freedom in my decision-making, a lot more freedom in my time, and also the ability to earn income passively. So we can call that kind of the lifestyle criteria. And e-commerce was one of those distinctive form of uh, entrepreneurship that really fit that lifestyle and was also obtainable for me, given the resources that I had access to and the experience that I had, which was basically nothing in both categories, right? The second piece of it was how lucrative can this opportunity be? How much of a growing industry is it? And I started in fall 2018. And at that point, there was a statistic that really screamed out to me, which was that the percentage of all retail transactions that was going online was only 8%. And that to me in my brain was just absolutely bonkers. As a consumer, I could see a world where it would be 50-50 one day. So I knew whatever business I built in fall 2018, if it would reach 50-50 one day, my business is going to grow by six times, not because I'm anything special, but just because more and more people are going to be comfortable buying on the internet. And the intersection of those two categories made e-commerce a kind of no-brainer entrepreneurship opportunity for me to pursue, despite having virtually no business ownership experience up to that point. Well, in your presentations that you've done and and the articles and speeches that you've done, including being featured in Affiliate World, you talk about strategies that haven't been seen before in selling physical products. Come on. What hasn't been seen that Amazon hasn't choked already? Our business model is very different from kind of what Amazon does or even people that engage in Amazon selling. And I'll kind of give an example, right? Amazon is something what I call search-based intent-driven businesses. So let's say you're trying to buy a hat as a consumer. You're going onto Amazon or Google and you're typing in hat. 
And then you're looking at 20 different options for hats. You're looking at the reviews, the prices, et cetera. And then you're picking a hat. But you came into Amazon knowing exactly what you wanted to buy. Most people do, right? Very right. rarely do people browse Amazon just for the heck of it to, to find ways to spend their money, right? They're looking for something. The business model that I teach and I use is targeting driven intent businesses. So what I mean by that is you're building a brand on your own platform, your own website that you do through Shopify. So an example of this would be like the Nike website, right? You can buy Nike shoes on Amazon, or you can buy Nike shoes on their actual website. For us, it's we make our own website, we have our own products, things are branded. And the consumers that tend to buy from our businesses don't know that they even want that product until they see the ad that's shown to them on social media. And social media giants like Facebook, you know, they, they're no, uh, you know, no mystery to hoarding up your data and information. We don't need to talk about the ethics of it, but it is what it is. It's very, very powerful for marketers, right? So if I'm also selling a hat, the type of person that's buying my hats is someone that's just going on Instagram or Facebook, uh, you know, browsing the feed, talking with their friends and bam, they don't even know they, they want a hat. They're seeing ads for insurance. They're seeing ads for cars. And then bam, they see my ad for my particular hat. And it happens because Facebook has predicted it based on all the information's collected about that person. They happen to be interested in my hat. They click onto my website and then they make that decision. Do I want to buy this hat or not? And you see how there it's void of a lot of the competition that you would find if you were already looking for hats and comparing a lot of different options. Does that kind of make sense? We did a show about connected television and the advertising and how your patterns on not only watching television programs, but your shopping habits where you travel is all recorded courtesy of Google. And it lets the advertiser know what it is you're looking for. So it sounds like you are looking through the same type of search engines with with social media, understanding what it is that my age bracket shopping and you're targeting the type of products that I might want because of my habits that I've demonstrated online. Yes, exactly. Not even just your age bracket, specifically you, right? Facebook takes the whole data collection to a whole new extreme because you think about they're reading your messages on WhatsApp, on Facebook Messenger. Uh, They have a pixel on every single website you can even imagine. Uh, So they're so far reaching in the amount of data that they have. I think Facebook has essentially predicted uh, human behavior to a T in a way. And, uh, you know, I was watching the show called The Social Dilemma, and uh, they say it very eloquently. They say Facebook sells human futures, which means they're selling you (laughs) as a marketer a prediction about what someone's going to do. And they're pretty darn accurate, which is why they're such a great behemoth of a company, right? (laughs) Well, you know, uh, Chicago is known for selling pork bellies and beef and everything in in the futures market there. So you're in the right area for selling the customer. You're selling the beef. We're talking with Kevin Zhang. He is known as the e-commerce disruptor. And for more information about how he can help you and your business, well, go where business goes, bizsoup.com. Transcripts and the links and everything will be there for your connection there. Kevin, this is interesting how you have taken that connected approach in marketing and truly doing a rifle shot 
to get me directly in my interest, what I purchase, what I watch, what I see, what I do, you're able to follow that and shoot me an ad knowing that I'm the one that is likely to buy that. And it's not like the purpose-driven or content-driven when I go to Amazon right now. So much different. Very good. Exactly. We sell you something that you don't even know in the moment you want yet, but we're predicting that you want it, which is very, very powerful. Now, you're the son of what you called in your bio, poor Chinese immigrants. Well, this country has a lot to owe to the Chinese immigrants who built this continent, the the infrastructure. And so your parents came over here, they raised you, you went to college, and you have developed this program that you are teaching to anyone. What are some of the things that we are finding out there that I have experienced? Those that are trying to teach me something and all I'm doing is giving them money. It's a scam. In other words, how do I recognize these men and women who are trying to sell me something that maybe I do want, but they're selling it to me in a way that I won't be able to use on a consistent basis and maybe setting me up for failure? This is something that's close to my heart because I'm an educator. And I think it's it's quite a, a shame that this industry has kind of gotten that reputation because with every kind of scammy info product out there or course, there's plenty of great ones also. You know, I invest in courses all the time to accelerate my learning. I'm always investing in myself. And it's kind of sad that now it's very difficult to even wade through the waters to pick something that's actually high quality. So here's kind of criteria that that I would give your listeners when they're evaluating buying a program or opportunity. The first thing is the educator needs to be transparent. So if they're saying, hey, I'm teaching you e-commerce, they have to clearly demonstrate that they've had some track record in e-commerce, right? So and kind of my free training that I put on in order to sell my program, I'm very transparent. I give away two of my brands. Uh, you know, in the first five minutes of the training, like, hey, you can Google these right now and you can kind of see the types of businesses that I've built and the types of businesses I'm going to teach you to build. And if you don't want to build something like that, leave this training. Don't even consider buying the program. There's that kind of upfront transparency, which it's always very questionable when someone claims they've done millions of dollars or whatever, and then they don't give you kind of any examples of what generated millions of dollars. Let's back up for just a moment. You say you give away two of your brands. Describe to me what that means or describe to my audience. What do you mean by you give away two of your brands in the very beginning of your free training program? My big claim to fame is that I did $20 million in online sales in my first year since starting my e-commerce business, which is obviously a, a very grand claim to make. And if I were to say, hey, I don't even have any examples of the types of businesses I build, it would be very questionable. So I sure. give away in the sense like you can Google it, you know, a brand called Arrowhead Tactical Apparel that sells concealed carry joggers has been very, very successful. And also Hemp X, which is a streetwear brand made out of cannabis or hemp uh, cloth. And I say, these are the types of businesses I teach you how to bootstrap and go ahead and Google them. Go ahead and see them. Because if you don't want to own brands like this, if you don't want to own a business like this, you know, maybe you want to start an advertising agency, leave the training because it's not applicable to you, right? But there's kind of that grounded example of this is the type of businesses uh, that propel that success. 
So you're going about this by teaching people how to become marketers by finding products like your hemp-based clothing wear. Are these products that somebody's come up with a great idea and they lack distribution? Or are you taking like the Nike? They have distribution. Coca-Cola, they have distribution. Am I just packaging it through what you're teaching me? What really separates my program apart from uh, a lot of others is I've spent a lot of my time building up infrastructure in China just by running my own business and building it from the ground up where every single student that joins my program have access to my fulfillment infrastructure in China. So supply chain is something that's handled for them from day one. Um, it is a strong supply chain that I've built. So then they kind of rest knowing, okay, that's something I don't have to figure out. That's something I can branch out from Kevin's infrastructure. And I'm very transparent that, hey, it's your decision to use this infrastructure or not. And of course, I'm taking a cut of every single order, but it's kind of like training wheels, right? Once you've proven concept, go ahead and find your own supplier to bring down the cost, go ahead and build your own infrastructure if you want. But that's something that's kind of taken care of for them so they can focus on the customer acquisition and customer support side of things and kind of worry about the supply chain later on when they want better margins. So these products that I would be selling, I I do this and I develop my own e-commerce site. Where am I getting the products, the goods and services that I'm going to be selling? That's something I teach in my lessons is how you source, right? You can source from kind of Chinese wholesale websites like Alibaba and AliExpress. And I teach them how to filter for quality, how to ask the suppliers about the quality of the products. How do you suss out uh, listings that aren't as good or, or too good to be true? And I also teach them how to use sites like Etsy to connect to even smaller suppliers, mom and pop uh, style suppliers that are just you know making handmade jewelry or, or handmade blankets. Right. I teach how to use the internet essentially to find suppliers that will be able to provide the products. And you start out not with your own proprietary products. You're, you start out with this drop shipping business model of basically selling someone else's products and you're trying to prove concept. The moment you prove concept, then that's when you get into negotiations for white labeling, you know, putting your branding on right. the products for how to develop your own products, because now you have the concept proven, you have capital that you've generated, and you know, hey, I can invest $20,000 in this business, and I'm feeling confident about it because I know I can sell this concept. The problem, I think, with entrepreneurship for so long up to this point, before all these technological tools was, you think about a typical retailer, they're gambling. They're making an inventory bet. They're ordering high minimum order quantities of inventory before they even know they can sell any of it. And then they hit the market. They find out they can't sell any of it. Now they've already lost the inventory, right? So mine is a reverse process where don't worry about the inventory, prove the concept first, and then you can get creative in making your own proprietary products. Does that kind of make sense? Sure. What you're talking about, as I understand it, is that I create this e-commerce site and I'm working with Kevin here with his products and I sell Kevin's products. And after I've identified the ability to sell these products, I can go back to Kevin and say, all right, I want that product and I want it under my name and I'm going to buy a larger quantity of it, which will bring down my cost per unit. And then I can turn around and sell that same product all while capturing my customer name. Yes. You're focusing on the marketing on the front end rather than supply chain. And once you've proven the marketing, because that is the most important part of the puzzle, 
to justify making investments in your business. Once you know you can sell something, even if you don't have the money, heck, I'll give you the money. If you can prove to me, you're going to be able to sell something, right? It's a very straightforward path after that. And there are millions and millions of products that are unbranded that are out there because how the world is working is a lot of this manufacturing, let's say it takes place in China or, or East Asia. These suppliers are getting screwed by big brands because someone like a Polo Ralph Lauren, you know, they want to order 10,000 Polos because they have all the bargaining power. They can last minute decide, hey, actually, I only want 5,000. And now this factory has produced 10,000. They're left with 5,000 excess Polos. They haven't printed on the logo or anything like that. What are they going to do with that quantity? And that's why Jack Ma became so rich in China. Right. Alibaba became such an extraordinary company as they solved that problem, which is a lot of factories have excess inventory. They have no idea how to get rid of it. Entrepreneurs now, you start off selling unbranded polos. You focus on the marketing. Let's say you prove that, hey, I'm really good at selling polos. It's easy to slap on your logo on these polos, take on inventory, drive down your costs. But in the beginning, you don't have to worry about taking on minimum order quantities. And that's a magical situation to, to test concept. Absolutely. We're talking with Kevin Zhang, and this is a very interesting subject about disrupting the e-commerce food chain. Now, what if I've got an existing business? I'm online. Let's say I have an auction house and my inventory changes over. There's specialty items. How can your program help me move my product better, faster, smoother to more people, which in turn should drive up my sales and pricing on the units? If I already have a product line, can I I use your system to improve it. Yes. What I love about this program and e-commerce overall is that what I fundamentally teach is an e-commerce toolkit. And the supply chain, the drop shipping side of it is only 20% of the lesson. Regardless of what you're selling, 80% of it is going to be your core e-commerce marketing toolkit, right? So at the end of the day, every business in e-commerce is very straightforward. You have to have an ad that is engaging. You have to be targeting the right people with your ad. When the people come onto your website and they can't, they have to decide to stay on. They have to go into product pages that are engaging enough to close the deal. And then they have to go through a checkout process where they complete payment and then you can upsell them more things, et cetera. But every single online business functions in that way. So how this program can help any business out there is you truly learn the fundamental e-commerce toolkit. And I always say, whether you're selling products from China products from Etsy, or you're selling your own business's products, marketing, the principles of e-commerce growth is going to be the same. You have to adjust those principles, giving every single niche. Obviously, selling insurance is going to be very different from selling socks, but how you analyze data on Facebook, how you react to it, how you make great creatives, how do you leverage psychological tools to drive conversions? How do you maximize value at checkout? How do you push even more products onto checkout? Those principles and the tools you use are going to be the same every single time. And that's fundamentally what I want every one of my students to come away with. My students do a wide variety of niches. You know, there's a woman in my program that has her homemade jewelry and she's selling that. There's another guy that's selling, you know, 3D golf printed jerseys that he's made. Heck, there's another person that's selling hemp-based skincare line. And there's people that are selling their own online courses using my strategies because e-commerce at the end of the day is the same framework in every single situation. You just have to adapt it to different variables. 
Absolutely. And I've seen this type of strategy not as sophisticated in the CBD oil industry, which is has very high margins. And I got involved in that several years, almost five years ago. And where you're talking about private labeling, they're manufacturing it, they slap a label on it, and we turn around and sold it for around 10 times cost. It was unbelievable. Supplements are are huge, and there's so many premium quality supplement white labelers out there. Yes. And, and that's what's so beautiful about the world we live in, right, is I was a broke graduate out of college, didn't have much money to my name with $3,000. The only reason my story is even remotely possible is because of the tools and kind of global markets we have access to now where you can sell something before you have any inventory for it. That's right. Yes. <laughs> when you were uh, 23, you couldn't, right? You you had to find someone to give you a loan or, or some wealthy parent to give you a lot of capital to take on that minimum order quantity or else good luck. You can't sell something you don't have. That's right. Now that's contained, And that's what's so beautiful. I think it's the democratization, if you will, of business ownership. Well, it's certainly leveled the playing field in many respects to be able to take a product. I, I could be taking a car that I didn't manufacture but is available, and I could be putting it on my website or doing an advertising campaign, and I could end up selling that car without investing in that car, like the perfect affiliate relations. Let's talk while we can. Affiliate relations. What does that mean to have an affiliate relations, and how should a business or an individual structure affiliate relations with others? My experience is not the most robust in affiliate, so I'm always very transparent about what I know and I don't know, but I, I do understand the space very well. can't say I've had a lot of success with affiliates, uh, but basically it's when you make an agreement with another business that if they were to refer business over to you uh, or if they were to generate revenue on your behalf, maybe selling your products, uh, promoting it, that you give them kind of a cut of the overall revenue. So a standard right. one is, is used in e-commerce for influencers, right? right. Let's say you're selling uh, you know, skincare line or, or in your case, CBD supplements, right? You find a pretty girl on Instagram that has a big following. You know, she, she pushes it to her audience and it's a bunch of excitable guys that will buy anything that this girl <laughs> is going to promote, right? I uh, don't know if that's the best decision for them, but hey, maybe if they buy enough stuff, the girl will finally pay attention to them. And uh, let's just say she generates $10,000 in sales pushing your product, then you give her an agreement of, let's say you, get, you take 20%. So in the influencer space specifically, what I found is the most effective is kind of your micro level influencers because Instagram, for example, has become more and more saturated. The, the bigger players are more and more expensive. Their audiences have kind of gotten burnt over the course of years now with them promoting stuff over and over again, where I'm sure the first thing this pretty girl has promoted really hit hard, right? But the 30th thing that year that she's really endorsed uh, means a whole lot less. Right. So what I found is the ones that are smaller, that have 10,000 followers or less, that aren't essentially online celebrities yet, they're often willing to promote products for free or just for merit-driven, you know, a cut of revenue. You don't have to pay them any sort of flat costs and you just ship them a product. That has become pretty effective and their promotion means a lot more too because they haven't reached that online celebrity status. They're still kind of a wannabe online celebrity. Sure. And as a result, their relationship and their testimony means a lot more. And with these types of influencers, what we tend to do is we're just trying to break even because what's the secret is that content, right? Instead of going to pay a shoot 
where you get a pretty girl to promote your product. If she just at least breaks even on the product that we sent her, which, you know, if she generates one sale, it basically is going to happen. Now we have this free advertising content that is organic, that is well-made because this is that person's profession that we can leverage in our marketing now. So it's a great way, in my opinion, more than anything to get great content that you can repurpose later for basically free rather than I think five years ago, it was a great conversion driver. Like you could spend a thousand dollars on Instagram promotions and, and get $10,000 back. I think those days are gone, but the free content is, is still very powerful. And then you can leverage that in your paid marketing. I've seen this and have experienced it and was part of it back in my day where we did product endorsements, you know, wear these jeans or, uh, you know, wear this hat or drink this bottle of whiskey. I don't remember what happened after that one, but, but it was product endorsement and the fact that somebody that was in the know was using the product drove people to whether it be the booths or we didn't have the internet back then, but drove them to purchase because you were using it or wearing it. The pre-Instagram days. People trust their role models, right? And right. especially when your role model fits in with your product very well, it makes sense. So, you know, I did consulting work for a car cleaning brand. They were selling this innovative kind of spray uh, to clean your car. And we didn't even really want to advertise on Facebook for them at all. We said, we're going to go purely influencers. And what we spent their marketing budget on, which was kind of controversial, was we spent it all on car reviewers. Right. And I thought that was the best bang for a buck because these guys are getting hundreds of thousands of views organically right. on their YouTube videos. They're not ads, if you will. It's kind of very subtle. This guy's just doing a review of product. He's demonstrating it. And if it's a great product and it happens to be a low key kind of sell, it's that organic, I think, type of selling. And now there's a lot more regulations with it. We're on YouTube. You know, you have to say that it's a promoted product. Back then, those rules weren't even there. That is what we found was so effective in these affiliate type situations because people don't even know that they're being sold and they're being sold. Sure. By association. Exactly. Oh. And it's just it's the same content that this guy's doing anyways. He just happened to pick this cleaner to use on that particular day uh, rather than what he normally uses. Now, there seems to be a trend, or been around for a while, a shock ad. To get people to look at your product or use it, you've got to do something extraordinarily stupid or funny or just absolutely shocking. Is there a strategy to that? Does it really work? Or is just getting to the facts about the features and benefit of the product enough to sell the product or drive the person to the website where you can capture their information and, and start marketing? That's a really great question. And I think that what you're describing is this thing we call the stop scroll effect. And before you even think about any sort of marketing, you have to be very audience-minded and very platform-minded, right? Running ads on Facebook and Instagram is going to be very different than running ads on Google search, very different than running ads on Pinterest, really different from running ads on LinkedIn, right? The audience also is going to be receptive to different things, but in every single situation, that stop-scroll effect is definitely very true. So, you know, I, I can speak that on a Facebook and Instagram level. Most of our traffic comes through mobile. We know that. We've analyzed the data. We know... 80% of our buyers, we make our first touch point with them on their mobile device. So we have to imagine as marketers that someone is using their two little thumbs and scrolling down their feed. 
And we have to make sure that out of the thousands of ads that this person is seeing, and we're very conscious of our audience, what is going to get them to stop on our ad? Because on Facebook, you pay for impressions, meaning if someone scrolls past your ad or stops and clicks, you're paying the same amount. So we do have to get a little creative, uh, that shock value, if you will, in kind of capturing that person's initial attention. And then once they click play on the video where they look at the ad, then the ad also has to communicate the things you need to communicate to push that product. And I say you have to be very audience focused because we're in this world now where depending on your age, you have a very different attention span. If I'm selling to 18 to 24 year olds, I know I need my video needs to get cut. So every two seconds, something changes or else they don't even have the patience to watch a 30 second ad. You know, someone in your age group is a lot more forgiving with something that is a little bit more slow moving and maybe something that cuts every two seconds is, is too crazy, right? So our primary demographic for a lot of our businesses is that 18 to 25 range. And as a result, we have to put in the fast music, we have to put in the fast cuts, but that stop scroll effect is definitely very, very live and true. And it's, I think about it as an arms race between marketers. Marketers are always trying to adapt to be kind of the most cutting edge player out there. And sometimes what's very effective is controversy. So I can tell you that we were selling leather products on the internet and we featured one of our best ads was our leather products on top of a field of cows. And it was so controversial, as you can imagine. And you had so many negative comments, you know, people that are very pro-environment, pro-animal saying this is disgusting. How could you market like this? But we knew who our target demographic was. It was kind of more rugged biker type of people that was buying our products, our, our leather accessories, our leather apparel. And they absolutely loved it. And we had this massive controversial political war, essentially, in our comment section. What does that mean? It means our ad just becomes even more relevant because it has even more likes. And at the end of the day, even though eight out of 10 comments were negative on that ad, the two out of 10 were coming from our audience members and they were really, really buying. So controversy is definitely something that sells really well these days. Well, we see that all over the news and television every day and we hear it on the and watch it on the internet. It's everywhere. Bad news sells. Bad news sells, exactly. And, and you have to adapt with kind of what's going on in the broader world, right? So another example is like TikTok. I'm sure you've heard about it. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, TikTok is going crazy right now. Everyone's going bonkers. We tried advertisements that mimicked the TikTok style where, you know, it was some person, a model, for example, dancing with our clothing on. And that ad did so well because people didn't even perceive it as an ad when they're browsing their phone. They're like, oh, this is content I'm consuming anyways in that 18 to 25 range. But how would they know that it was your clothing unless there's an ad or is there a link? There's to a it? call to action at the end of the little oh. video. So, you know, it's just scroll up if you want to buy this outfit. But for the first 30 seconds, they didn't really even know that it was an advertisement. It's like you're pressing next, next, next on the same videos. Our videos disguised in uh, as an ad, you know, and bam, it does well. And, and I think that's also, we, we talked about the whole guru kind of selfie vlogging type of ads that let's say they're unethical, but they do very well. They do. The reason is because vlogging was so popular on YouTube. People like that organic vlogging content and these gurus caught on to it. So you're watching your vlog and then your ad is also a vlog. It's a lot easier to capture your attention 
when the ad fits the type of content that you're consuming anyway, versus if it's dramatically different, you can immediately smell that it's an ad. So I think this kind of organic, covert advertising is becoming more and more effective. And the marketers that really win are the ones that make watching advertisements fun, right? No one likes ads. But when you make it engaging for your particular audience, it's a whole lot more fun, right? So our Arrowhead tactical brand that sells concealed carry joggers, one of our best ads was this guy, he's going to the shooting range, you know, this obstacle course, and he's shooting all these targets and he's using this pair of pants. We're not even talking about the features, but because our suspicion is the type of person that's going to buy this jogger, what type of video were they watching right before this? The same thing except it wasn't an ad. It was just some gun influencer doing some crazy obstacle course. Now we're doing the same thing. It happens to be in our pants. You watch until the end of the video. There's a call to action. You're going to want to buy those pair of pants. This has been fascinating. And perhaps the scariest part is that you're saying that the number one demographic target of the 18 thereabouts has the attention span of a goldfish. Oh, man. I'm telling you, my little brother is eight years younger than me. And he noticeably is a different species even compared to me. And I'm noticeably a different species compared to my parents. He can't even read a book for fun. At least I can still do that, you know, and I'm sure his children, I don't even want to know what they're like, you know, (laughs) and there's science behind this, right? Our attention span is dramatically getting reduced. And that's why TikTok is so popular, not with my generation, but with my brother's demographic, the the still high schoolers, is because for them, an Instagram video that's two minutes long is already too much time. A YouTube video that is five minutes long is already too much time. They need that bite-sized 30-second to one-minute video or else it's just too boring. And I I can't even imagine what that's going to look like in the next cohort and the next cohort. So being audience focused is, uh, is an arms race, right? And, and, and broader culture influences consumers, which you have to follow consumers, which influences marketing. Kevin, this has been fascinating. I can't thank you enough for giving us just a little bit of insight into what goes on in that young mind of yours and how to build a brand. You've done a very good job, and I can't thank you enough for helping us understand the e-commerce business and the minds that go into marketing to them. I hope you'll come back and share your next great success story with us and bring my audience up to speed on what is next in e-commerce. Awesome, John. Well, hey, it was a great discussion with you, and I hope I provided a lot of value for all the listeners. Thank you so much for having me. And, uh, you know, fingers crossed that 2021 is going to be even more of a smash hit than 2020. Absolutely. Kevin Zhang, thank you so much for joining us here on Business Soup. This is where business comes for business. Kevin, thank you. Awesome. Thank you, John. This has been another serving of Business Soup, where business comes for business. I'm John Debevoise, inviting you to visit the website for more servings of what is best in business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.